Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A relationship with the right referral partner could be a game changer for any B2B company. So what if you could reverse engineer these relationships at a moment's notice? Start a podcast. Invite potential referral partners to be guests on your show and grow your referral network faster than ever. Learn more at sweetfishmedia.com. You're listening to B2B Growth, a daily podcast for B2B leaders. We've interviewed names you've probably heard before, like Gary Vaynerchuk and Simon Sinek, but you've probably never heard from the majority of our guests. That's because the bulk of our interviews aren't with professional speakers and authors. Most of our guests are in the trenches leading sales and marketing teams. They're implementing strategy. They're experimenting with tactics. They're building the fastest growing B2B companies in the world. My name is James Carberry. I'm the founder of Sweetfish Media, a podcast agency for B2B brands. And I'm also one of the co-hosts of this show. When we're not interviewing sales and marketing leaders, you'll hear stories from behind the scenes of our own business. We'll share the ups and downs of our journey as we attempt to take over the world. Just kidding. Well, maybe. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the B2B Growth Show Monthly Book Talk. I'm Douglas Burdett, host of the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book to help my listeners succeed in the quickly changing world of marketing and sales. Joining me is my friend James Muir, author of The Perfect Close, The Secret to Closing Sales, The Best-Selling Practices and Techniques for Closing the Deal. I read every book featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, but James reads even more books than I do. And he listens to every episode of the Marketing Book Podcast, so I'm delighted that he can join me. In this monthly episode of the B2B Growth Show, we briefly recap some of the key ideas from the marketing and sales books that were recently featured on the Marketing Book Podcast. James, welcome back to the B2B Growth Show Book Talk. Thank you, Douglas. I do listen to every episode. It is my favorite podcast. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the four most recent books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, which are, Hello, My Name is Awesome, How to Create Brand Names That Stick by Alexandra Watkins, Strategy Man versus the Anti-Strategy Squad, Using Strategic Thinking to Defeat Bad Strategy and Save Your Plan by Rich Horwath, Get the Meeting, an Illustrative Contact Marketing Playbook by Stu Heinick, and Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and A Better Life by Michael Brenner. And maybe, just maybe, I can get you to tell us about the three big ideas from 250 books for every marketer that you used in your recent keynote. Ah, yes. Episode 251. (laughs) Yeah, we can talk about that. We can talk about those three big ideas uh, after we talk about these books. Awesome. All right. Well, first up, we've got Hello, My Name is Awesome, How to Create Brand Names That Stick by Alexandra Watkins. And this is a perfect book to start with because it was both hilarious and insightful. And I think all of us at some point have had to create brand names. And so tell us a little bit about Hello, My Name is Awesome. Well, first off, is that a great name for a book or what? Hello, (laughs) My Name is Awesome. And on the cover, it has one of those 
you know, name tags, you'd see at a networking event and it says, yep. hello, my name is, and then they've written in awesome. So it was probably one of the funniest episodes. She is a fantastic writer, former copywriter in the agency world, and she's just a very, very funny person. And she uh, has a company called Eat My Words in uh, California, and she has been at the forefront of uh, naming a lot of very famous uh, products and services and so forth. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that People think that, oh, I'm never going to have to name my company that I work for, or uh, I, you know, it's never going to come up. And as we talked about in the interview, you have no idea everyone's going to be dealing with names for a variety of reasons. One is that you might actually go start your own company. Two is your company might change its name. In fact, she talked about she gets a lot of business from companies that are in a trademark suit where they didn't properly <laughs> trademark their company name and they have to go get a new name. But also, more likely, uh, there are a lot of services and products that companies uh, come out with, new ones, things they're testing. And she even goes on to talk about how a lot of companies, big and small, where people like working, they started naming their conference rooms. They give their employees really interesting job titles. And so it's really going to be used by uh, more people than I think somebody might uh, originally think. So, yeah. But it was really good. And she talked about some of the real fails of some companies with their names. And she kind of walks you through and says, look, this is a bad name. This is what makes for a good name. And she talks about how if you have to explain what your company name means, you're already apologizing. If you're having to explain how to pronounce your company's name, you're already apologizing for your company name. And it's just not doing very much. So a lot of companies sort of uh, go into a fight with one hand tied behind their back uh, by not giving much thought to their name. And also one of the funny things she talked about how a lot of companies come up with products or services or company names by going to GoDaddy to see if the URL is available. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she said, stop doing that. The URLs basically aren't available anymore. And you can even add a word to your domain name. Like she talks about um, Facebook and Tesla those names yeah. weren't initially available to them, so they had the Facebook or they had Tesla Motors or something like that. Where, Or you could add a verb or a modifier, and it works really well. And, of course, she explains that if somebody is trying to find you, they're going to Google your company name anyway. Or if they're doing other marketing correctly, they're going to Google a problem, and they're going to find an article you've written about how to solve that problem. But they're not really going to care what your URL is. They're going to care more about what your company name is. Yeah, amen. Now, and she's this book's really practical. Actually, as funny as it is, I mean, just all the fails alone will keep you rolling in this book. But um, there's some useful acronyms that she uses in this book to help you, you know, know what to do and what not to do. So tell us a little bit about. I think there's a smile acronym, and also there's one that she uses called Scratch. Yeah. So hold on one second. Wait for it. Wait for it. Smile. The five qualities of a super sticky name. Suggestive. So it evokes something about your brand memorable. It's rooted in something familiar. So mm -hmm. she talked about somebody who worked for a company called Leapfrog. So that was just a very good, uh, it was a memorable name. Imagery, uh, visually evocative to aid in memory. And she talked about how a lot of uh, vehicle or car manufacturers understand that. Yeah, you know, they like, get it. Yeah, they get it. Um, perfume also. <laughs> perfume and, and cars. Although she said if those, if a 
perfume company comes out with a car, we're in trouble. And if a car company <laughs> comes out with a perfume, we're, we're going to be equally in, in trouble. Although I'm sure both companies in both industries have thought about this. So that's S-M-I-L. Leg lends itself to a theme for extended mileage. And the last one is emotional. It kind of moves people. So it, the more that you're able to keep those five things in mind, the better. If you don't get all of them, uh, you're still going to have a better name for your product or service than other things. And then the other things you talked about was Scratch, which are the seven deal breakers. So this is probably more illustrative for people, but it's spelling challenge. If, if your company name looks like a typo, <laughs> that's one of the seven deal breakers. And she had several examples in the book. And I had to ask her during the interview, I said, are these real companies? And I she know. Said, oh, she said, yes, every single one of them. <laughs> and you know what? A lot of them were probably trying to buy the domain. And that's why they put in such weird names. She said, uh, S, so the next one is copycat. If it's really similar to competitor names, that's just, it, it doesn't work for several reasons. One of which is you're going to confuse people and it makes you look like a follower. It's not distinctive. Restrictive limits future growth. Annoying, is it, is it forced or frustrates customers? Uh, tame, is it flat and uninspiring? Uh, the curse of knowledge was an interesting one, which is it's a company name that only the insiders would get. Right, right. Uh, I think a lot in the tech do that. And then H, uh, out of scratch here, is, is hard to pronounce. <laughs> there were so many examples of those. I know, that's it. There's so many examples of how ludicrous some of these names were. You're like, oh my gosh, did companies really do this? Yeah, so she said, if you need, to, if you need someone to spell, pronounce, or explain your name, you're essentially apologizing for it. And she also said that you should always check the Urban Dictionary mm-hmm. to make sure it's not a slang term for something else. And if you sell overseas, you need to get someone overseas to, uh, to check on that. So um, Also... Virtual assistants, you might want to make sure that the virtual assistants understand, you know, like Siri and all those different. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) Test it by talking into your, doing a search on your, or just talking, dictating into your phone. And if your company name is consistently misspelled, you've got yourself another problem. So it was interesting. And it was very practical. She walked through exactly how they do it and uh, how they, the process they go through. And she even includes the creative brief of exactly what they do with each client. So it's really uh, super practical. Yeah, great yeah, book, so great read. Some, yep, some counterintuitive advice on brainstorming and getting feedback too. That's right. There, she I said, thought. thanks for reminding me. She said that um, having a brainstorming session with a bunch of people, worst possible idea. She said there should be one person and it should be you and not in the conference room. It should be on a computer. Yeah, then, on the internet. She goes through and says, okay, go through all of that first, then bring people together. And she has a very specific way of rolling it out because she has probably watched a lot of great brand names die a needless death because of the process was not done correctly. Agreed. Well, I like that you're asking each one of these uh, authors, you know, what's one thing that the listeners can do in order to, you know, apply what's been learned from the book. And in this case, she was saying, hey, just just practice using the steps that you've learned. Now practice naming something safe, like your home Wi-Fi network or something like that. And so I thought that was kind of a, a great um, little practice uh, piece of advice that you know anybody can apply. Just try it out. Yeah. Um, Fantastic book, you know, takes uh, the task of creating names from this sort of nebulous process and turns it into a an easy step-by-step process. And I, I kind of like the emphasis on um, structured creativity, you know, which allows your mind to wander a little bit, but also gives you some rails uh, to keep you on track. True. So favorite parts of this besides the uh, unbelievable amounts of humorous examples? 
So next up, we've got Strategy Man versus the Anti-Strategy Squad using strategic thinking to defeat bad strategy and save your plan by Rich Horwath. And, and this book is just completely unique. It is a graphic novel. And the way Rich explains the principles, even my, even my sons could understand what he was explaining because of, uh, of the format that he's using. So tell us a little bit about Strategy Man versus the Anti-Strategy Squad. Well, I think Rich Horwath is now the bane of every other author's existence. Because this book is so good, and it's 166 pages of graphic novel. And I can't imagine how long it took him to do it and how expensive it, it must have been. And it even comes with a separate little a training cards, like a, yeah. a deck yeah. of cards of some of the characters in it. But it was, first off, you have to know what you're talking about in order to put it into a graphic novel with a story a compelling story like this. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is a uh, strategy man is a superhero and he has two other heroes who help him. And then there are 20 villains, 20 villains that I have personally interacted with in my career. <laughs> I, you know, like the time waster and the, uh, Oh gosh, there's so many of them. The fire driller, fire but, driller, fire. Yep. Yeah. Makes company go on fire drills, but it's, it's uh, interesting. And I think that, it is probably one of the best strategy books you could read. And I can remember when I was getting my MBA years ago, and I remember this one professor for the Capstone course was talking about how, you know, whatever you do, wherever you go to work, uh, whatever you're engaged in, in that company, try to think strategically. Try to understand what the overall strategy is there, which is, of course, great advice for anyone, whether you have an MBA or not. You right. could read this book, and I think for the rest of your career, you would say, wait a minute. It's like uh, the Matrix, where suddenly he could see everything. Mm -hmm. it, it was it was very uh, interesting, and it's I've I've already borrowed it from things I've been writing. But he he talks about you know what is a goal, what is an objective, what is a strategy, what is a tactic, and and what they aren't. And he talks about how those terms are so often misused. That what was interesting also about the book is that it's like a good sculpture where he removed everything except the most important parts. And exactly. he, he even walks you through it, and he weaves into the story about this uh, SWOT analysis, which a lot of listeners are probably familiar with, where a company talks about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And that was actually one of the villains who does, yeah, it, bot. <laughs> who does it wrong. And I'm just thinking, man, I have sat in that movie. I have sat in that you know situation. Of course, it wasn't a robot villain, but it was a person who didn't know what they were doing, and they might have been well-meaning. It was really very, very well done. You know what? One of the things that was really helpful to me is it took almost every challenge that you get in that process and gave it a name, right? Yes. Because every one of the villains sort of now represents to me in, oh, I recognize this problem. You know, this is misalignment or <laughs> this is, you know, Coachella or or this is tactique, right? This uh -huh. is, I mean, I, and then when you see it, you're like, oh, there's a villain. So I think very clever and very associative to be able to have a name attached to every every one of these little problems that we have during the strategy process. And you mentioned that uh, he's got a, uh, a methodology that they use called GHOST. Uh-huh. Which is the the four things you just mentioned, right? It's got goal, objective, strategy, and tactic. And he does a great job of letting you know what what it, that is and what it isn't in the book. Yeah, there was a certain simplicity in what he explained that was very, very refreshing. And I think you could imagine that a lot of books about business strategy, I mean, right, just saying that sounds boring, but actually, <laughs> if it's done right, it's quite liberating. 
So it was, it was really something else. I can't imagine uh, another graphic novel coming on to the Marketing Book Podcast uh, soon, but I would love it if they did. And it all, the other thing we talked about was how there have been a small number of books that had like fables in them. The mm-hmm. business books, but like every other chapter is a fable where they weave this story in about the information they're trying to present. So like Bob Berg's books or uh, the Eisenberg brothers, Be Like Amazon, even Lemonade Stand can do it. It's just, it's so uh, engrossing. And of course, when you put something in story format, you remember it uh, many, many times over, and it's it's very engaging. So I would hope at least uh, not every author is going to be able to do graphic novel, but the more that they weave stories in, the more effective their books are. Agreed. And this just takes that concept up to the highest level that I've seen so far. So totally entertaining book. And if you're brave enough to carry a comic book to work, it is totally worth it. It's a, just a terrific read for anybody that wants to get better at uh, setting goals, objectives, strategies, and tactics and understanding what that stuff is. Yeah. And it's a great book that you could give to your CEO or, you know, or a CEO could give to their uh, C-suite. You know, it's just, yeah. it was, I think, if some like a CEO gave it to their people, that CEO would be pretty confident about strategy because they already know this, and they would be giving it because they thought it was interesting. You know, it was, yep. it was it was amusing. Somebody who's insecure about strategy and thinking strategically and talking about strategy uh, might not want that. So anyway, it's, it's it's a great gift book. Agreed. All right. Next up, we've got Get the Meeting, an illustrative contact marketing playbook by Stu Heineck. Now. Stu Hunnick's an amazing direct marketer, a cartoonist. He's a you know multi-time uh, author, uh, and so I'm a big fan of his other book that came out before this one called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this newest book, uh, Get the Meeting. Well, first off, I told him he should stop writing books because the two that he's written were <laughs> are fantastic. They really, truly, really are. Truly, and so. The other book was called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. And that was uh, just unbelievably good. And he's a guy who was a, or I guess he still is a cartoonist. He was a Wall Street Journal cartoonist. And in his career, whenever he wanted to get in with a magazine or whatever, he would draw a cartoon uh, about the publisher and he would send it in and that would generate a conversation. And then he would start working for these various uh, magazines. He had like a, I think it was a hundred percent success rate. Conversion rate, yeah. Yeah. So that book, uh, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, it talks to you about the psychology of getting in and how to enlist gatekeepers. Gatekeepers are the vice presidents of access. And then a good bit of the book was actually about what should the dog do once it's caught that car. So he then <laughs> goes through and explains, this is what a CEO is thinking. You know, this is what they're talking about. This isn't talking so much about getting a, a meeting with a procurement person. It's getting a meeting with a top person, someone that's difficult to get in to see. And in fact, he had to coin a phrase for that. He called it contact marketing, which is right in the title there, which is you know sort of this fusion of marketing and sales focused on opening doors for key prospects, right? VIPs and resulting in some kind of critical sale or some kind of strategic alliance. So I think it's interesting that, that I mean, this, these two books are completely unique. There is nothing else out there like this uh, that I have seen. And I remember um, Stu saying, he kind of called it an underground methods of ad hoc marketing to get appointments. Yeah, and he's given it that term contact marketing, and it's just one more thing that is all about the alignment of sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, he wrote this book because he'd heard from so many people around the world who had actually additional ideas, and he heard from a lot of people that did the things that were outlined in his first book. So this one was uh, 
real, real practical and included lots of examples of what people are uh, doing. And it even talks about AI and augmented reality and all these types of things. He mentioned just a few things from the first book, but it's beautifully written. And he talks about these, uh, you know, the the next evolution of business cards. And mm-hmm. just, here's how good it was. I started changing some of the things I was doing to reach out to prospects. <laughs> and, there's, and, and there's so many in there. I mean, there's, yes. uh, I don't know, easily easily a hundred different ideas that would take you months of, of time to actually execute because there's so many interesting and excellent ideas in this book. And yeah. there's pitches, all this stuff, and it's just really a great uh, read, I think. One of the interesting concepts in the book was about going deep versus wide, where deep personalization is if you're trying to reach 10 people or one person or, you know, 100 people over a year. Wide personalization is where you could send something out to 100 people, but it has something relevant that they all have in common, like their job title or, or something like mm-hmm. that. So it was a very, very creative book. And here's what came to my mind. When I hear companies uh, or salespeople or CEOs or whatever – saying we just can't get through. We can't get through to people. We can't even get a, a pulse. I want to throw the book at them. I want to throw this book at them <laughs> because any company that goes through here and just starts trying some of these things, they're going to be amazed. And in the book, he talked about companies that had like one ambitious salesperson that read his first book and started doing it. And he mm-hmm. started getting through and he started getting all these sales, at which point the company, even the CEO was saying, this is never going to work. Soon after, all the other salespeople were like, can you help me do that? No doubt. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very amazing. important book. In the door. And, you know, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but one of the things he said, you know, what's the one thing you can do is stop and take, a, take inventory about, hey, who are the top people that you can get, you know, that'll really make a difference in your life and then stack and rank those guys. And yes. Then use deep personalization to get into those guys. That was very good. I mean, people haven't taken the first step even of identifying who are their, you know, uh, Anthony Arena would call it, you know, my dream clients. Right. And uh, Jamie Shanks talks about that in his book, Spear Selling, where, you know, the, the most important thing is the selection of your target accounts. Mm-hmm. And way too many companies don't even have uh, ideal target accounts that they've thought about. And there's a certain liberating phenomenon I've seen with companies where they start to think, wow, you mean we could actually fire some clients we don't like (laughs) Mm -hmm. if we could get some of these really good clients and it gets them thinking like, wait a minute, what do they all have in common, these ideal clients or these dream clients? Oh, wow. You know, and so it starts to have an impact on their business. They start thinking about things they could probably stop doing and other services they should start doing. So uh, it was was good advice that he gave, but it also is, uh, it's almost like in the wisdom of Stu Hynek, they're He's tricking these companies into uh, thinking more about what they should be thinking about in terms of trying to grow their business by maybe dreaming a little bit about who who is our ideal customer? What is our most profitable customer? Yeah. Yeah, it forces that activity. And there's so much in this book. It's like, I don't think you you didn't even cover everything that's in the book in your interview with him, but there's pocket campaigns and there's unsolicited proposals and there's LinkedIn and there's video and there's a whole bunch of different, really interesting. And every one of those has multiple examples of how he's doing it. So it's just a really, um, really phenomenal book all in all. It really is. Very important uh, book for salespeople to read, but I think even more important for marketing people to read because can you imagine the respect the sales team would have for marketers who start coming up with some of these ideas? Yes. Yes. Oh. It's outsta- outstanding. And the conversion rate is off the chart. So yeah. yeah. So two thumbs up. Two thumbs up for me on Absolutely. this Absolutely. Agreed. 
All right. Well, next up, we've got Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life by Michael Brenner. And this book focuses on the business value of empathy. So uh, share a little bit with us about Mean People Suck. Well, this was uh, episode 250, and he, I've, I've given talks in the, over the years, and I talk about how empathy is arguably the most important word in marketing and sales. And so empathy is not sorrow, compassion, or pity for someone. It's understanding their situation, putting yourself in their shoes. And mm-hmm. the thing that's so great about that is that even if you do it 10%, you're going to be better than your competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to get this perfectly right, but talks about how this lack of empathy for that companies have for customers, the lack of empathy they have for their uh, employees, it's just, I, I can't think of anything more destructive except maybe out-of-control egos. So companies that are able to have a bit of empathy, just they, they succeed wildly uh, and much more effectively than their competition. And there was one big idea in the book that I just loved. And that was, he talked about organizational charts are yes. one of the worst things to happen to businesses. And if you think about an organizational chart with... Uh, you know, boxes and uh, lines going down. Lines. The, yeah. Well, you see, it's very much about the company and and what everyone should be reporting to. In the book, he has this graphic of what the real organizational chart should look like. And it should be more of a circle. And at the middle of that circle is the customer. And every department should be then connected back into, in some way, to their effect on the customer, what they're doing. And there was another book on the show a while back called, uh, I think it was Nincompoopery, which we've talked about. And he talks about uh, these different departments and so many companies are customer-free zones. <laughs> Do you remember right. that? Yes. It's not accountable. <laughs> John Brandt, the author. And uh, so this is a similar, uh, a similar type of thing. And it was just a, you know, uh, a really thoughtful book also because he talks about, you know, behind every bad idea is an executive who asked for it. <laughs> and I think that a lot of people are pretty, pretty terrified where they are. They don't want to lose their job. They're being told what to do. And that's just such a, a mistake, and it's not really getting the most out of your, um, out of, out of your workforce or your, or your customers. What was your thoughts? Yeah, well, he describes exactly why that process, it causes people to continue to do stuff that they know isn't working mm-hmm. because they've, they, they've been told to do it rather than think for themselves right? And then try to understand exactly what will be beneficial to the customers, right? And then even speak out when when it, it isn't serving customers. Like he, he gave, uh, there's a great Capgemini story uh, in there where, you know, somebody wants to do this big golfing thing, but the truth is our customers don't care about golf. Oh, right. That's <laughs> great. Yes. Yeah, and so- actually that person, that marketer, the company was saying, look, spend these millions of dollars in this golf sponsorship because our our three big competitors are doing it. And as I recall from the book, she said, uh, well, yeah, but, you know, she started saying, well, but our customers don't care about that. This is what our customers want from us. This is where how we could be helpful and, you know, show some empathy for our customers and probably get more sales. <laughs> and sure, they said, we don't really need all that money. And so they're like, what do you mean? We're giving you all this money. Well, thanks, but that's not really what we need. Anyway, long story short, what they ended up doing was more helpful for their customers. It saved them a lot of money. And uh, the consultants who were, you know, making sales, they liked it too. Yeah, it, it, the ROI, as I remember, was around 21, 21 times. I mean, it was less money, but higher re- return on investment. Yes. But that, uh, 
for what they did than they would have gotten before. So talk a little bit about uh, attention is the new currency. Uh, he mentions that in the book and how it's, you know, how can we capture and hold our customers' attention? And he kind of ties that in with people not caring about our brands anymore. And Yeah, well, so we've, we've gone from an era where we could buy attention and there was more of a captive audience. And as a former New York City ad man, those were the good old days. <laughs> but, it, but it's gone. It's gone. And so you can't, I don't, I think it's really pretty hard to buy attention now. And part of that is because people, their attention can go everywhere. And if you're trying to buy attention on social media, I mean, you're, you're competing with cat videos, which are more interesting and, and pictures of your friends. And, you know, you could buy television advertising. Maybe you could buy new magazine ads, you know, but you can't really buy attention. So rather than interrupting what people are interested in, you now have to be what people are interested in. So that's a real struggle for a lot of companies. But the more that you are able to make yourself useful, helpful, educational for your customers, the more effective you're going to be. And one of the examples in terms of content is just answering their questions. If you sit down and you think about what are all the questions, get the sales team in there because they're really good at answering this question. What questions do you get all the time? And I see hands go up and they're saying, oh, I get this four times a day. It's like, great. <laughs> Let's, you know, that, that's, if they're asking, they're definitely searching for it. The only problem with that is it tends to be questions that, are, uh, that maybe salespeople get towards the end of a customer journey. But you can go talk to customers and, and, and get insights. But just answering your customers' questions, I know it's a... It's a, a radical approach, and it's talked about in the book by Marcus Sheridan. They ask, you answer, and, but it works really well. Was there some other part of uh, that topic that you recall? Well, you said it. Uh, people don't care about your brand. They care about themselves, right? And they, they want content that's interesting and it's useful to them. And so the, our, our goal should be focusing on problems, right? And, yes. and weave those into our stories. The best, you know, the best stories focus on not really the solution part of it, but the whole challenge and the problem side of the, of the formula. Yes. And the, your solution piece is just that little tiny bit at the end. They resonate more when we talk about the problems. Yeah, and everyone's products are good. I mean, <laughs> pretty much. Mm-hmm. Products, services, or you're not going to make it and you're going to, uh, you know, there's the quick and the dead now where if, if you're treating your customers badly, the whole world can find out pretty pretty quickly. So if it's now, who who seems more human and who seems to understand me better? Yeah. And, and what channels do we do to make that? In fact, that's the message of the book, right? By treating people with compassion and respect, we can improve not just our workplaces and our results, but we can, you know, we and our customers can live happier lives. So I, I really resonate with that theme uh, in the book. And I think the more genuine and authentic we get with our clients, the better. Absolutely. And I hope that I don't have to wait another 250 books to have one come out about empathy. <laughs> yeah, let's hope, right? Let's hope. Yeah. I think the one thing we could do on this one, he said, just ask your team what they think, right? Oh. And see what what you can do to solve your problem. So you know, he's basically open, just like you said, opening up your dialogue with your own team and with your clients. Yeah. So that was the last book, but yeah, we also got an amazing keynote session from Douglas Burdett himself entitled uh, Three Big Ideas from 250 Books for Every Marketer. You know, can I convince you to tell us a little bit about, you know, what the, what the three things were, the three big ideas? Sure. Happy to do it. And this is a B2B growth show book talk <laughs> Uh, exclusive extra. Okay. So <laughs> to the listeners out there, uh, you're welcome. I didn't want to talk about this, but um, 
James, uh, I dragged you into he it, forced so me to. So what I did was I had given a talk in um, Birmingham, Alabama a month or two ago, and it was basically three big ideas from the first 250 books that had been on the show. And it was only three because that's all I could remember. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Actually, <laughs> James, I don't know if you know this, but about 10 years ago in lieu of a midlife crisis, I started performing stand-up comedy. And uh, I'm all better now. Thank you. Uh, but I don't uh, perform. I stopped performing. And so I think I channel some of that into my public speaking and maybe my, my podcasting. Although I try not to joke around too much on this show because I don't want James Carberry coming after me to you know uh, beat me up or something. So the, the three big ideas are, one, marketers have an image problem. <laughs> too many people think of them as arts and crafts party planners who work in the make it pretty department. And if you don't believe me, go ask the sales team. But I explain, well, there's a lot of studies that talk about how that that's very true. And I quoted several books where they say this perception of marketers is that way. Is it true? No, but that's the perception. So that part of the talk, I, I talked about how to become one of those marketers that's not perceived that way. Uh, the minority of marketers where they are uh, looked at uh, with a lot of respect and uh, quite a bit of, uh, a little bit of financial things I talked about. So you, you can't leave them hanging there. You talk about getting into the revenue camp. Yes, that's right. right. So, yeah, so, so how do marketers get in the revenue camp? Well, they start to ask questions like, uh, you know, who's our most valuable customer? What's our most profitable customer? Uh, what are our sales goals? What are our business goals? Mm -hmm. What are our, you know, <laughs> go ask that stuff. Right. And they're not used to hearing marketers ask about that, particularly at smaller companies. But anyway, and actually uh, all these slides and everything are available at marketingbookpodcast.com. So the second one was not just for marketers. It was for uh, almost anyone. And that is that the most successful companies, the most successful marketers, <laughs> the most successful salespeople have the deepest insights into their customers. Right. They really understand. They observe their customers. They look for friction in their customers' lives. Jeff Bezos does this. And they're succeeding wildly. Look at Uber and Lyft. <laughs> they don't own cars. <laughs> but they found friction and they had pretty deep insights into what was irritating people uh, about whatever that category is or your product or, or, their, or their life. And the, so the more that you understand your customers, the better. And the way you do that is you have to go talk to them. And I've got several books on the show that have talked about the importance of just talking to your customers, not trying to sell to them. In fact, don't ask the salespeople to do that in most cases because they're busy and they've got other kind of skills that you should be using to try and help close sales. Marketers, go talk to these people. You, if marketers become the experts on their customers, they'll be amazed at how their status uh, and their power will increase uh, at the company. Yeah, that's a phenomenal segment of your talk there. And I ended up missing a couple books that you had mentioned in there. So I immediately went out and bought them. Oh, so sorry. I'm excited. I'm excited to read those this week. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are good. And the third one was your most powerful marketing is... The experience that your customers uh, have, meaning that whatever your customers experience in any interaction with your company, that's your most powerful marketing because everyone has a megaphone now and it's not so much what you say or do, it's the way people feel. And that's why there've been so many books on the show talking about engineering a better experience for your customers. Now, what do you have to have to be able to do that? Mm, it's that E word again, empathy, but people will pay more for a better experience. I mean, survey after survey shows that. If you've got happy customers, 
that can become a big part of your marketing. So that's also led to the resurgence of word of mouth marketing. So again, word of mouth marketing is not always something that you can just write a check. Like you write a check for an ad and then something happens. No, you have to engineer something into the way your company operates, Mm -hmm. differentiate your product or your service. A big part of that is your HR department. How what kind of people are you trying to attract to your company? How are you treating them? How are you training them? All that goes into the experience, and that's much, much more powerful than anything that you uh, say about your company. Yeah, amen. Well, this was a treat to, to listen to you in a keynote setting, so I thought it was a phenomenal, uh, and I'm glad you added it. So, well, I hope now, they had as much fun hearing it as I did giving it because um, – you know. Oh, you can hear them all laughing. Yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> so now you mentioned a ton of books in that keynote. Literally, I had to keep backing up to to track all the names of the books that you were throwing out there. And I know you're giving us the creme de la creme. So, you know, obviously a good first step would be to go read all those. But um, no, 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 no. I, I, I'll, 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 I read them so that my audience doesn't have to. <laughs> well, that was good. That was my question. Is like, all right. So, what would you recommend out of all those books that you were mentioning in that presentation? You know, if someone were new and listening to this, you know, maybe where would you suggest that they start? Well, the best book out of all 250 is How to Appear Smart in Meetings oh. <laughs> by Sarah Cooper. How to Get By Without Even Trying. Now, sure, that was part of a special April Fool's Day episode, but it's, it's, it's a hilarious book. And it's one of the jokes I had in the presentation where she talks about how but her book is very, very funny. Go to cooperreview.com and you can see all this stuff. She talks about how when you're in a meeting and you're not really interested, you're not paying attention. Come on, listener. You've been there. And what you do is somebody says something. You convert percentages into fractions. So somebody goes, about 25% of visitors to our website clicked on this button. So then you say, so about one in four. Your math skills will be the envy of everyone in that room. Well, the other one is uh, that I saw in the military quite a bit is uh, you're making a presentation with slides and you just stop the presenter and say, can you go back a slide? (laughs) It doesn't matter where in the presentation it is as long as it's not the first slide, but everyone thinks you're paying more attention than you actually are. And then you can go back to doing what you were doing before, which was uh, in the meeting, checking Instagram. There you go. Pure energy. So no, that was a good one, but I good think uh, but the one of the greatest marketing books that I always recommend is The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott. Mm-hmm. 394 pages. Yeah, how many editions is? It? I was just going to ask you how many editions. The 6th edition is for sale yeah. now. And then I think I heard that in 20 so in 2020, so about every 3 years he updates it. In 2020 it's coming out and I saw that it's going to be 480 pages. But that is the oh, book. Oops. That's one of the two books that most transformed my working life looking back. I read the first edition and uh, it's one that I always recommend. In fact, I talk about it in that keynote that you you mentioned. Yep. I remember hearing about it. Well, this month's book's covered a wide range and it's uh, really great to hear your keynotes uh, and some of the insights you found most valuable out of the hundreds of books that you've read. So tell us a little bit about what you've got coming up on the Marketing Book Podcast. So the first one, the next one we're going to talk about is by Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert. It's called Loser Think, How Untrained Brains Are Ruining America. A little bit different from a lot of the marketing and sales books that have been on the show, but really, really interesting. Uh, We're going to have the Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business by John Jantz. He's a very famous author who's written books like Duct Tape Marketing, Duct Tape Selling, uh, The Referral Engine, and so forth. And this is sort of like the Daily Stoic by 
Ryan Holiday, but this is uh, daily meditations from transcendentalist American transcendentalist authors, which uh, a big focus of that movement was all about self-reliance. And it's really good. And it's just something you can look at for less than a minute a day and uh, really get get thinking. It's a very different book for him, but it's it's uh, fantastic. Mm. Beyond Product, How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business by Jill Soley and Todd Wilms, a couple of uh, Silicon Valley marketing executives who for throughout their career have had to deal with companies that think that if they just build a great product, everything else is going to happen for them. <laughs> Magic. So it was a really interesting book the way they explained well, they, they basically did what they've done, where they explain how marketing works and how it can be such a force multiplier uh, for a business when it's done great, uh, when it's done correctly. And the uh, last one is 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell by Paul Smith. He's the author of Sell with a Story, which is one of the mm-hmm. greatest sales books it's about using book. stories. And this is the, the 10 stories that great leaders tell, but it's not just for CEOs. It's pretty much any business person. He's not telling you what the story is. He's telling you the type of stories that really inspire, uh, motivate, persuade, and lead other people. And it's uh, it's already won a literary award. It's it's really fantastic. So that's all next month. So stay tuned, dear listener. And that's it for this month's B2B Growth Show Book Talk. I realize we went a little long, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, to learn more about the Marketing Book Podcast, visit marketingbookpodcast.com. And to learn more about James and his excellent book, the perfect close, visit puremure.com. That's spelled P-U-R-E-M-U-I-R.com. And if either of us can recommend a specific sales or marketing book or other resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, save yourself some time. Please connect with us on LinkedIn where we can chat and we'll do our best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember, keep learning because these days, big learners are big earners. We totally get it. We publish a ton of content on this podcast, and it can be a lot to keep up with. That's why we've started the B2B Growth Big Three, a no-fluff email that boils down our three biggest takeaways from an entire week of episodes. Sign up today at sweetfishmedia.com slash big three. That's sweetfishmedia.com slash big three. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.